Well, welcome 2023. I don't think there's a lot of people excited about 2023. Welcome to 2023. I don't know about you, I'm excited about what God's gonna do in this next year. Anybody else? And uh, listen, if, you're, uh, if you haven't been here for the last couple of nights of worship, we're just finishing up tonight uh, a series entitled God's Plan. Say God's plan. God's plan. And in this series, we're trying to figure out what God's plan is for all our, of, of our lives individually. We started it off month one, September, with looking at can my past disqualify me from God using me? That answer was no, if you're trying to figure that out. <laughs> Month two, October, Pastor Ben, he came in and he talked about hearing God's voice. Because if we're going to figure out what God's plan is for our life, we've got to figure out what he sounds like. Month three, Pastor Lawrence, back in November, he talked about following God from Proverbs chapter three. And tonight, we're going to finish it off. And so ready or not, here we go. There's this old fisherman, this guy he was... He was, he, was, he was an older man. He had grown up going to church. He had grown up uh, going to church a couple days a week. And, uh, but as he grew, he grew further and further away from God. And uh, he got this job on this boat. And the people that were around him, let's call this fisherman Bob. The people that were around Bob, man, they, they, they were kind of like him. They were kind of far from God. Some of them had gone to church. Some of them had never gone to church. But they found themselves deep in the ocean fishing, and then a storm came. And this is one of those storms that they figured there's nothing they can do. They all are about to die. So every one of these fishermen, they got on their, their knees and they began to pray, began to ask God for his intervention in their situation. And then they look over and they see old Bob. Old Bob's just standing up and watching them. They turn to Bob and like, man, why don't you just pray with us? He's like, you know, I haven't gone to church, I haven't talked to God, I haven't prayed in years, but why not? Let's give it a try. He gets on his knees and he begins to pray and he says these words. He says, Lord, I know I've been out of fellowship with you, out of touch with you, and I haven't been in touch with you for about 15 years. But Lord, if you're going to help me get safely to land, then I promise that I'm not going to bother you for another 15 years. This is how some of us can look at prayer. We begin to look at prayer it's, it's as if, it's an, if everything else fails plan. It's the last or one of the last steps that we take while we're in the midst of a crisis. It's a Hail Mary, if you will. But as we talk about prayer, I want us to take a moment to look at who we're actually talking about when we're talking about prayer. I mean, God is the one who spoke a word and the world was made. He safely brought the enslaved Israelites out of Egypt. He raised the dead, healed the sick, set free those who were in captive. In fact, many of us who are here tonight are living testimonies of the power of God. It's not, well, I guess I have to pray now that there's nothing left for me to do. It's, no, 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 you get to pray. We get to go to our Heavenly Father and ask Him to show up on our behalf. Uh, King David writes this in Psalm 145 when he's talking about praising the works of God. He, he says this. He says that the Lord is near 
to all of those who call upon him. It may, may, might have been 30 minutes since you called on God. It might have been 30 days, 30 weeks, or, or you might not have ever called on God. But when you call out to him, God is near to you. So when you're going into this next year, if you're worried about your health situations, I encourage you tonight to call out to him. If you're stressed out looking at how you got it, got it, you're enrolled in school, and you're trying to figure out how you're going to pay your tuition, I encourage you tonight, call out to him. If you're anxious about your family situation, what you're leaving here from to go home to, encourage you tonight to call out to him. Because when you call out to him, he's near to you. But as we get started, I want to encourage you that prayer is not our first that prayer should be our first response to crisis. But I also want to challenge you tonight that prayer unlocks the door to God's revealed destiny for your life. Let me say that again. Prayer unlocks the door to God's revealed destiny for your life. But I don't want you to miss this tonight. God's plan for your life has never just been about you. God's plan always involves people experiencing him and coming to, know about, coming to know him. Think about Abraham for a moment. When God called Abraham, he said that he would be a great nation, that he's going to be famous and incredibly blessed. Things would go really, really well for him, but he, God finishes it up by saying this. He says, and all the families of the earth will be blessed through you. So even though God's plan for Abraham's life was revealed, it extended outside of himself to impact other people. And this is what God wants to do in our lives. He wants to have an impact on our families. He wants an impact on, with our friends. He wants an impact in our schools, an impact in our workplace, in our city, as we engage God, in God's plan for our lives. But all of this is wrapped up and it's all uh, brought together with prayer. Now, I don't know about you, but I think sometimes we can get a little stressed out when we talk about prayer, when it comes to prayer. Like, we think about God and prayer, like, you know, it's, we're talking to the man who created the entire universe, and I'm supposed to have a conversation with him. I'm, I, have, I don't know if anybody else has a problem with this sometimes, but I've got a problem sometimes talking to other humans, and I'm supposed to talk to the guy who created everything, including me. But to take it a step further, this creator of the world, God, has a plan for me, and that plan, it's good. It's really, really good. But sometimes in order for us to advance what God has for our lives, we need to pray. Pastor Mark Batterson says this about when it comes to reaching his city, which is Washington, D.C. He says, we work like it depends on us, and we pray like it depends on God. The big question then is, how do I pray? How do I actually pray? do this. Now, something I, I appreciate about the disciples is they did some really dumb things. Like, catch this. I want you to see this for a moment. One day, Jesus is, is, is walking around. He's like, you know, I, I want to go into the city of Samaria. I want to preach to the Samaritans. And so he, 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 he's trying to get in there, and the people of Samaria are like, mm -mm, we don't want you to preach there. And the disciples' first response, their best idea was to straight face, look Jesus in the eye, and say, you know what, let's call fire down to consume the entire city. I wish, 
I could have seen Jesus' face when they said that. I don't know about you. Like, I'm not, I'm, honestly, I'm a little surprised that at that moment, Jesus didn't cry out, my God, my God, why have you, not, why have you forsaken me? <laughs> at that moment. But al- although the disciples said some really, really dumb things, they asked some really good questions. One of them is this. They said, Lord, teach us how to pray. It goes through the Father's prayer, uh, and, and, and it's found in Matthew, but we're going to look at it in Luke tonight, and he says this. It says, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, and give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who's indebted for us, and lead us not into temptation. Now, this might be a lot of words, but this is how Eugene Peterson translated it in the message paraphrase. He said, Father, reveal who you are. Set the world right. Keep us alive with three square meals. Keep us forgiven with you and forgiving others. Keep us safe from ourselves and from the devil. Really, if you're trying to figure out how to pray, this is a really good place to start. Here's the thing. You can break up this prayer into five different segments. We're not going to do it tonight. You can look at number one where they reveal who you are. Like, God, I want to know you. Got to know your heart. Got to know who you are. Number two, set the world right. Maybe like my family is going crazy right now. The world is going crazy right now. My job, my friend, everything is going crazy. Like God, turn it around. Number three, keep us alive with three square meals. Begin to pray, God, would you, begin, would you be my provider? Continue to be my provider. Number four, for, keep us forgiven with you and forgiving others. Turn around and we, and we can say, forgive me and teach me to forgive those who have hurt me. Number five, keep us safe from ourselves and from the devil. And thank you for being my protector, my defender, my rock, my shield. What's really interesting with number two, which we're going to be looking at tonight, set the world right, which we're going to refer to now is turn this world upside down. Because if everything is backwards and upside down, God needs to flip it the right way up. And here's the thing, God can just snap his fingers, and everything will be set right in a moment. But that's not how God works. That's not how God does things. God works through his people. He works through you. He works through me. So God setting the world right happens through God's people stepping into their God-given destiny who are engaging, who are engaging in God's activity here on earth, and this all happens again through prayer. But what's incredible about this is that Jesus isn't done yet. He, he teaches them a prayer, and then he goes on to give them this great illustration about continuing to pray. Jesus said this. He says, suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight, and he says, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come from a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And from inside, he answers, don't bother me. The door has already been shut. My children and I are in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. So in this story, we're, met, we're introduced to three different characters. We're met with the guest, say the guest. Yes. The host, say the host. the host. And the sleeper, say the sleeper. Now the guest traveled for a long time to get, uh, and, and he arrived late at night and to get to this host's house, and this host was ill-prepared for the guest to arrive. He had no food for the traveler. And the sleeper, well, that man, he was sawing logs. The guy was dead asleep. Now for us, when we look at this parable, we can begin to quickly glance over it. But for this first century audience, what was happening was so unthinkable, it was actually 
hilarious. See, first century Middle Eastern hospitality was absolutely legendary. The person wouldn't just be the guest of that one host, but they were actually the guest of the entire community, the whole village. And the guests had to leave with a really good experience from the community. So in this story, the host, he had made bread in the morning, and they have no more bread that day. So he goes to the sleeper, knocks on the door, and he asks them to fulfill their hostly duty. And this neighbor, this person is already sleeping. And like their houses wouldn't just be like your house or my house. See, think about a two-bedroom home, right, where, or a two-room home, where, but without doors and without walls. And so you have, uh, on the bottom, you have just a, a common area, and then up top they have a platform, and they would have a stove. And the entire family would sleep around that to keep each other warm at night. So by knocking on the door, it could wake up the entire family. But also getting up and climbing all over his family could also wake him up. So he says, hey, listen, my family is all asleep. Go away. Now, I don't know about you, but I can relate to this. See, I have a three-month-old and a three-year-old. If you're coming to my house and you're trying to wake up my family, there's going to be a situation that I'm not too proud of as I'm trying to get you to get away so that my kids can sleep. So I don't know about you, I can understand the response of go away, my family is sleeping. But what makes it hilarious to this first century audience is that it would never happen. And Jesus continues and he says, I tell you, even though he would not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, because of his persistence, or some scholars translate his shamelessness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. Now, shameless kind of really works here because you would only need to ask them once in the culture. See, if the sleeper hadn't gotten up, the host would have left that house and went to every other house in that community, uh, cursing the sleeper's stinginess. Now, remember, the reputation of the entire community was at stake. So by the time the sleeper woke up in the morning, the entire community would have known everything that he did, and he would have been met with cries of shame as he walked through the community. So because the sleeper wanted to avoid this, he would rise up and give the host whatever he needs. And Jesus brings the story home, and he says this, so I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be open. So what's Jesus saying? What's the ramifications of this verse? Because in this story, my need is an unsuspecting guest. I am the host of this need, and God's the one with the answer. Do I just ask, seek, and knock, and then eventually I'll get what I need? Well, no. See, our job is to go to God. And God's job is to respond however he decides. But we need to look for a moment at the actions of the host. And it's highlighted with one thing, one phrase, one word, persistence. We're so used to a fast-paced culture. I mean, listen, I've got Amazon Prime, like next day delivery, y'all. I hate commercials, so I've got streaming services. Anyone else? I do not like lineups, so I love fast food. In fact, in the, next, in the last couple of weeks, 
I have gone into a parking lot, seen a lineup at a certain fast food place, left that lineup, left that parking lot to go to another location of the same restaurant because I knew I had a shorter line. Like, I like, I like things now and immediate. Does anybody else like it? Now here's the thing, prayer doesn't work that way and it's frustrating sometimes, right? Our answers can come immediately through prayer, but they can also take some time. Like, did you know that many of us who are here tonight are the answer to years of prayer from family members? That this church, what we're doing right now, is, is the answer to prayers from decades ago. Our lives, many of us, are the result of answered prayers from people that we have never met and may never know. Now, God's plan for you, although it affects you, God's plan, he, his desire is that it would affect other people. And if I can get real with some of us tonight, the reason why some of us are, are experiencing some un unanswered prayer is because they are short-sighted. They end with ourselves. Let me ask you, if everything came true that you're praying for, what would change in this city? What would change in this country? What would change, or what would change with those who are less fortunate, or would only the quality of our life improve? If everything that we're praying for is answered, how does the school change because we're praying? How does the turmoil in your home change because you're praying? How about those who don't have a home? What happens to them? What happens because we're praying? To those who might be more politically inclined, what's going to happen in city hall or in parliament because we're praying? Remember from the scripture that we read, and now I'm going to summarize it, it's consistent, persistent prayer that brings about change. The answer might not come today, it might not come tomorrow, but I wonder what God could begin to do in this church and in this city if we began to intentionally begin to pray that God would use me to transform my school, to change my workplace, to transform the, the things that are happening in the lives of my friends. Begin to pray that God would begin to turn this city upside down, this church upside down, this community upside down. 1949, God did something very unique in the Hebrides. Now, if you don't know what the Hebrides is, it's a, it's a grouping of islands off the coast of Scotland. But the only word that we have to use for it today is revival. It was a place where, with hardened men and hardened women, young people who love to go partying, that entire place got flipped upside down. Duncan Campbell was the man that God used for this revival, and he said this. He said that there is this awareness of God that came over the entire island. Schools paused because of students giving their lives to God. There were men who were working in field, no, fields, nobody around them, found all by themselves on their knees, crying out to God, asking him to save them. Store owners were found kneeling behind their counters, giving their lives to God. Now, one night, Church service was going on, and there was a, a club that was going on at the same time. And it said that an awareness of God just came into the club. Everybody began to vacate it. They just began to run out of it. Began to run from the club over to the church. Opened up the doors. He got all the way, all the way down to the front while the service was going on. Some people were calling out to God, asking him, to forgive them from the things that, for the things that they were doing. Some of them didn't make it. 
In fact, it's said that there was, that, that people described the green space as being littered with bodies as some of these pe- because some of these people didn't make it to the church and they're all on their knees crying out to God, asking him to save them, asking him to forgive them for what they had done. Could you imagine tonight Nose Hill Park being filled with youth and young adults crying out that God would save them. No special sermon, no special effort, just people being aware of the presence of God. Talk about a city being flipped upside down. 1904, there's a Welsh revival, it began. And what happened in the communities was so impactful that the Western Mail in Cardiff began publishing something called the Revival Editions. It was being published on the front page and gaining more and more interest than anything else in a newspaper. One newspaper wrote this. It said, truly God has visited his people in Wales. It's not a question of one town being awakened, but the whole principality being on fire. Profanity silence. Public houses deserted. Police courts idle. Family feuds pacified. Old standing debts uh, paid. The family altar re-erected. And the Bible study was becoming a passion. They said, it's certainly a wonderful record. And then they wrote this. They said, this is the finger of God. And this is what God did. People got saved. It's estimated that that at least 70,000 people were saved in the first two months. God flipped whales upside down. Now here's the thing. This is just a snippet of what God did. And there are many, many more stories like this. But catch this. Don't miss it tonight. It all started with prayer. They started with asking God to begin to impact their broken community. And I think we can begin to look at stories like this and we're like, man, there's no way that God could do this again. That God could do this today. Like we have such a challenge in our world today. The church is getting pushed to the sidelines. Nobody wants to hear the message of Jesus. But this is the same challenge those communities had. But they leaned in to pray. And God did something spectacular. See, we heard about what God did in the country of Wales, in the community of the Hebrides. But God can also flip our lives upside down personally. When I was living in Ontario, Ontario, I was a young adult's leader in a church in Grimsby. One night after, after the service was done, a young girl came up to the front and she asked for prayer. And I looked at her and I was like, like how, can I, how, how can we pray for you? And she told us that she had an ultrasound the next day. And she pulled down her scarf and her entire neck was filled with lumps. Freaking out, she's like, I just need to pray that I have peace about this. And I was like, and and myself and my prayer partner were like, absolutely, we'll pray that you have peace, but maybe we can also pray that God might heal you, that God might touch you, change you. She's like, okay, we can do that too. And so I got her permission, and we put our hands on her neck, and we began to pray. We We began to pray that God's healing power would come, that the tumors would, or those lumps would all disappear. When we took our hands off, every single lump was completely gone. Now, how many of you guys know God flipped that girl's life upside down? One of my favorite Christian thinkers is A.W. Tozer, and this is what he said. He said, anything that God has ever done, he can do now. Anything God has ever done anywhere, he can do it here. 
Anything God has ever done for anyone, he can do it for you. So now let's go all the way back up to the top, to the Lord's Prayer, where we're saying God flipped his world upside down. Remember, we're going by, beyond ourselves with consistent, persistent prayer. Looking at maybe what God is calling you to or what you're asking, what you're seeking, what you're knocking, so that God could turn your school upside down. Maybe so that God can turn your workplace upside down. Maybe God needs to set your family upside down by turning it upside down and putting it right. It could be God turning the city upside down. And so as you guys were coming in tonight, you would have received a card that looks like this. It says, God flip. It says, turn blank upside down. The team's going to play in a moment. I encourage you to begin to pray for that one thing. Now, if you didn't get something like this on the way in, don't worry. Just pull your phone out and you can type it in and grab a card on the way out. I encourage you to put it in your mirror, put it in your car, put it somewhere where you can see it throughout the year. What's the one thing this year you're asking God to begin to turn flip upside down? We're going to take some time to pray. We're going to ask God to begin to turn things upside down. Then we're going to do it again tomorrow. Then we're going to do it again the next day. And the next day, we're going to ask, we're going to seek, we're going to knock. So that God would, re- would receive glor- the glory in your school. So that God would, re- would receive the glory in your workplace. So that God would receive the glory in the city. Let's pray tonight. Jesus, thank you for everything that you're doing. That even when we're not seeing some of the things that you're doing, you're at work. Like a master architect behind the scenes. Lord, as we're taking some time in this moment to figure out what we're, what's that one thing that we love to see you flip upside down, pray that you would guide us to something. Whether it's our family, our friends, our school, the city, the homeless, maybe something about justice, Lord, that you would begin to lead us directly to something that's inspired by your spirit. And that as we ask, as we seek, as we knock over this next year, that the plans you have for our life would begin to come alive to this one thing. In your amazing name. Come on, all God's people said tonight. Amen.